Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Made aware of. Amen. I'm going to pray tonight, and then you'll be able to be seated. All right. And don't worry, I got plenty of scripture to, to touch base with. And tonight, as I teach, I love so much how Sunday night went with the interaction of the audience. I really enjoyed that. So I'm going to ask questions tonight that I want people to be able to interact with. As I teach, you feel free to whenever I ask it. Because it's, a, it's one thing to stand up here and, like, teach and almost like, you know, lecture. Because I do, I've done that for years. But it's another thing to see if your brain's engaged and if you're, if whenever I read something from the Bible and you read something from the Bible, do you get anything from what you read? You know what I'm saying? Because I can come here all day and divulge information. But do you get anything out of what you read? I think that's important. In our time together, do you get anything out of that? That's important. Amen. Oh, glory. Amen. So I'm going to pray tonight and you'll be able to be seated. Father, I come to you this evening. I'm thankful, Lord, for your mercy. I'm thankful, Lord Jesus, for your grace. I pray, oh, Lord, that you're able to touch, Lord, the next little while, Lord Jesus, in our time together. God, touch us anew and afresh, God, by your spirit. I know, God, that you're able to help us tonight, God, to learn from your word, God, as we have read, Lord Jesus, of your word. God, I pray, Lord, let it be light unto us and life unto us. God, will not fail to thank you for it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen to the church. Say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight in Jesus' name. Actually, as I segue in whatever I'm going to talk to about tonight, I'm going to kind of tie up some of the loose ends from last uh, weekend uh, and then segue into what I'm, going to, what I'm going to talk about for the majority of tonight is the story of forgiveness. Uh, but last week, as you know, we talked about the story of promotion concerning the life of Joseph. And we saw in, in certain aspects how I think this is a true statement. I think this is maybe even a principle uh, in every generation, biblical, non-biblical, whatever, and that is this, that true promotion seldom happen aside from suffering. True promotion. As a matter of fact, does anybody remember what Joseph's name meant? Anybody? Had two meanings. Anybody? Talk it. It's, what'd you say? Incline decrease? That's one, that's one way of saying it. It's one way of saying it. If you remember his name meant that, that take away and that add to, remember, the takeaway and the add to. Is everybody okay? Is everybody nervous because I'm changing the format just a little bit? Okay, huh? Just, yeah, amen. So, so they had those takeaways and those add to's. They accompany one another, the promotion, so to speak, and the suffering. And so there are several other places in Scripture besides the story of Joseph that illustrates uh, that aspect of this union, this gathering together of both suffering and promotion. Uh, one that we could think about in Scripture, maybe known to some, maybe not known to all, but is that, that, weird, that weird named guy called Mephibosheth. You'll remember that he was invited to sit at King David's table and that he would always have a place there at his table. 
And he even had the perks of having servants that would work for him to go out and farm the land that was given back to him that had been his family's and, and reap the harvest from all that. So he had all these perks, restored, restored land, servants to work the land, be able to sit at the king's table. But all of that happened after a moment in his life somewhere along the way when he was a young boy that he was dropped by his nurse and he, he had a fall that he suffered with. He was lame in both legs and we think well let's go look at me sitting at the king's table yeah but there's something else that smashed with that per se promotion and that is he had somewhere in his past that he had some suffering too and it was a suffering that he didn't have even control over uh, he was dropped by his nurse then we have three guys that you might uh, think of in scripture in the book of Daniel Shadrach Meshach and and Abednego, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, were, according to God's word in Daniel, those three were promoted. They were promoted to some pretty high uh, places of classification whenever they were in Babylon. But uh, that promotion that they actually got came on the heels of going through what could have been a very intimidating fire. Although not even a hair of their head was singed or they smelled like smoke. You, you, you tell me this, how would you feel? We're doing it seven times hotter, going to throw you in. I don't care who you are. All right? That's intimidating. Now, once you get in, you feel like, all right, I'm not being burned up. This is a good thing, you know, but still yet. So there's, it's on the heels of that that they get their promotion. And not only that, Daniel, he was, he was promoted whenever he was in Babylon as well. But again, he, along with those three, all of them had been stripped from their motherland. They had been stripped from their native land. And so they're, they're trying to get used to being in a different place. Remember the food test and everything? So they had some suffering before they had their promotions. How about a book's? This, a book is named after his name, Job, right? The Bible promises at the end of Job that the latter end of Job was greater than his beginning. And we're like, yeah, cha-ching, that's what I'm talking about. You know, bigger and better than what I started with. But what is it, 40 chapters before we learn that? Or 41 chapters before we learn that? And in the greatest portion of that book what's going on with Job's life suffering he's lost 7,000 sheep 3,000 camels 500 yoke of oxen 500 she asses 7 sons 3 daughters his health but promotion came after all of that so whenever we think of promotion what do you think of whenever you think of promotion anybody got anything when you think of promotion, Alex Mason, what do you think of? Climbing the ladder. Anybody else, what do you think of when you think of promotion? Sister Sheila. Something better than she already got. Anybody else? Whoa, y'all coming at me at once. <laughs> what you got? Pay raise. Sister Rhonda said something. Step up. And so I think there's a, a little bit of commonality that's going on here. We're thinking about advancement, climbing the ladder, you know, lift it up, you know, and, and by and large, when you're promoted, I may have touched on this last week, but, you know, you're usually pro promoted by someone. Typically, you don't promote yourself. Or let's look at it like this. You shouldn't promote yourself. Right, so we're thinking about this lifting up. What do you have, Bishop? Responsibility, responsibility. So 
that lifting up, that being, that being advanced. And so we should promote ourselves. The Bible even says in Proverbs 27 and verse number 2, this is a proverb, wisdom from God's word, let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. So we have biblical principle here. Whenever we think of promotion, the reason why I'm tying in with this, there's somebody that was absolutely promoted in Scripture. Someone we all love and adore. His name was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, watch me now. Jesus Christ was promoted or lifted up by others. I say lifted up with purpose. Because the Bible says he was lifted up. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. But the Bible says what? That was signifying what? death he would die and that death took place where it's not a trick question at the cross but what's that location there that was called calvary mount calvary a hill called golgotha anybody remember what that word promotion many times was also translated in our bibles it's a hebrew word but they translate promotion they translate some other things promotion anybody see it's test time quiz I said this last week huh it was it was mountain or ranges of hills so whenever his cross is being set upon mount calvary a hill he's being lifted up in a very literal sense but he was being promoted in the sense in which the word is being used but how was he promoted through and by his suffering he was lifted up by the nails that were pierced in his hands. The Bible says in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul says that I, might, that I may know him, speaking of Jesus Christ, and the power of his resurrection. That sounds like a good promotion. And though the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead now listen, man that sounds great power of his resurrection let's go right there and skip over fellowship of sufferings but it was the sufferings that lifted him up that promoted him the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 9 and 10 now that he Ascended now that he ascended, speaking of Jesus Christ, now that he ascended, that's speaking of his resurrection, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? Not just by virtue of being buried, but by virtue of going to hell while he was buried. Verse 10 He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens. That's more than resurrection. That's his ascension into glory. That he might feel all things. Promotion and suffering goes like this. Promotion and suffering. But the good news is this. If you say, I tell you what, all I've had here lately is a cup of suffering. Well, somewhere along the way, there's promotion. Because they go hand in hand. And the Bible says if, we, if we'll conform to his death, there what it says in Philippians, if we conform to his death, we do that so that maybe we'll be transformed then by his resurrection. But ultimately our goal is, is to receive an ascension or receive a final promotion up far above the heavens someday. And so Joseph's story is one of promotion. 
but again, in his life, his promotion came also by suffering, just like the Lord. The Bible says, through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of God. Suffering is there all along the way. And so there is another area. That's what we're getting to tonight. There is another area where Joseph was like the Lord. And we can be too. That's what we're trying to do. Learn from the life of Joseph. And that is he forgave like the Lord. There's a lot of similarities. As a matter of fact, if you take the time and read chapter 37 through chapter 50 of Genesis, there are a lot of similarities between both the stories of Joseph and Jesus. One individual that I've read and came across and he had him listed, he had found 101 glaring similarities uh, between the story of Joseph and the story of Jesus. And so when we see Jesus in his promoted place, on Mount Calvary, on the cross, being lifted up there by his suffering, we know in the midst of his suffering that he said what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then in Joseph's story, we see even after he suffered all of his misfortune, what is he doing? He is forgiving. And so Jesus, or Joseph is the story of forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. This is for you to jump in, all right? What are all... You don't have to list them all. But what are some of the different ways that Joseph had been done wrong in his lifetime? Come on. Some of you all familiar with the story of Joseph? What are some of the different ways that he was done? What? Being sold. Potiphar's wife. Low down, no good seducer than accuser. He was forgotten by the butler. His brother's lied on him yeah he was thrown into a pit anybody else got anything anybody come on now what you got right I hurt his feelings huh? <laughs> no doubt so those are some of the things. You know, something other interesting? You know, he was sowed to the Ishmaelites or the Midianites. Same difference, okay? And then they sowed him to Potiphar's, uh, to, to Potiphar. The Ishmaelites was Joseph's cousins. So he wasn't just sowed by his brothers. He was sowed by his cousins. Interesting, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so if anybody's putting out a bid on my life. <laughs> Amen. And so there's several things then that, that he was done wrong with in his life. So we agree then with all of that. There are a lot of opportunities there for a man to be bitter. For a man to be holding a grudge. For a man to arbor unforgiveness. Huh? So I asked you then this question. Do, do we agree then that he suffered as a result of some of these things that happened to him? Right? Let me ask you this question. Is Joseph the only one that suffered in all of this? Who else suffered? His dad. Why did his dad suffer? Missed his son. Anybody else? Thought he was dead. Yeah. Then you all teach him a class. The whole family. Sister McGee 
threw in there and said guilt, guilt. So Joseph isn't just suffering because of his series of events. His dad is because he misses him. He's sorrowful. His brothers are, are they're wondering too, you know, after he's out of our hands now, what's going to happen to him after the fact? They're probably feeling somewhere along that line, they're, they're going to feel guilt. This is what the Bible says in Genesis 37 and verse 34. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins. This is whenever they brought that bloody coat to their father. And mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. Now that, I'm telling you what, think about that for a moment. Can you think about that for a moment? Those boys who did that to their brother now bring this coat. They don't tell him that that Joseph is dead. They just bring the coat and let daddy make his own assumption based upon the bloody coat. And he says he's dead. And so they're like, yeah, that's probably right, you know. And now that he's mourning, those same boys now are like trying to play, put on a front and placate dad whenever they're the ones that he's, the reason why he's really mourning is because of them. And so the Bible says he refused to be comforted and he said, for I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Again, this is the, this is the, the son of his beloved Rachel. Thus his father wept for him. So yeah, here's, uh, look at Jacob. He's tore up here as a result of this. It affected more than Joseph. It affected his dad. And for that matter, his dad, from that point in time, Joseph was 17, his dad won't meet back up with Joseph. It'll be 22 years until he meets back up with Joseph. 22 years. Because if you remember Joseph 17 and he was 30 whenever he became second command, that's 13 years. Then there's the seven years of plenty. And then the Bible tells us after they were in two years of the famine, that's whenever daddy finally arrives to Egypt. So it's going to be 22 years. He believes his son's dead. Amen. Matter of fact, why do you think that the brothers had to deceive dad about? Well, of course, number one, if he's not coming home, you know, he's going to be wondering where he's at. But why do you think that the brothers had to deceive dad about into believing that Joseph was dead. Boom. Say it louder. He wouldn't stop looking. He'd go looking for that. That's his beloved son of his beloved wife. If he, if he had a slightest chance that that boy was alive, you, you boys have just now become a search party. We're going to, you know, we're going to find him. But if we can make dad to believe or assume on his own that he's dead, story ends right there. Joseph's brothers, again, Sister Margaret, thank you so much. They didn't leave that day unscathed, unaffected. I mean, uh, yeah, they suffered from years of guilt of what they had done in just a moment, in just a moment. Because they knew, they knew they had sold their brother into slavery, right? They knew that. As a matter of fact, on their first trip to Egypt for food, they knew they sold their brother into slavery, but on that first trip for food, they even had come to a place somewhere in their life, somewhere in those years, that they even assumed that Joseph was dead. Because, I mean, 
you know, someone being slowed into slavery, that isn't necessarily the glamour of life. The Bible says this in Genesis 42 and verse 13. This is whenever the brothers first go to Egypt for food and they're met with their brother Joseph, which they do not recognize. And Joseph does not divulge to them that it's him. And they said, because Joseph is saying, you all spies, and they're talking back and forth. The Bible says, and they said, thy servants are 12 brethren, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father and one, what? is not or for our purposes one is one is dead and I say that this is the meaning because whenever they later go back home and they're telling Jacob their daddy about ever their conversation they said this is what we told the man and one is not so they're meaning that he's dead not just that he's not around because Jacob believes that his son's dead and so they're meaning that he's dead and so they're even wondering their mind all those years sister Margaret we sold him slavery but he's probably dead by now so they don't just have the, the burden of having sowed him into slavery on their shoulders. They have the burden in their own minds because a lot of times if it's true up here, it's true to you. They have the truth in their own minds. He's dead. So they got that on his shoulders as well. Amen. And so why, why, do, you think, why do you think the brothers assume Joseph was already dead after 20 years? Why do you think they're already assuming that? Again, and then no one has to answer that question. That's just a rhetorical one. Again, because the demands of a slave, those are some grueling demands of a slave in those days. And it tended many slaves to have short lives as a result of that. And so, again, not just the guilt of selling, but the guilt of giving him an early death. So, again, you should be able to answer this because I just went over this. How old was Joseph then when he was sold? Seventeen. And so how old was he whenever he started ruling in Egypt? 30. You're listening. I like that. So, since that's the case, we understand that. Whenever you start doing the math, whenever the brothers first went to Joseph in Egypt, the first time to get grain, seven years of plenty are already gone. They're there because the famine has started. So you take the the 17 from the 30, that gives you the 13. You add the seven years of plenty back in there, 20 years. It's been 20 years since the brothers had sold Joseph. Thir 20 years. Joseph is around 37 years old now. And whenever he accuses them of being spies and he shuts them all up into a prison to be incarcerated for three days, it's been 20 years now. Listen to what? Joseph overhears in Genesis 42 and verse 21. This is what Joseph overhears. And they said one to another, these are the brothers, we are verily guilty concerning our brother. It's been 20 years. They don't know that's Joseph they've been talking to. This whole scenario is just coming about of them being imprisoned for three days and they're really wanting to get some food. But you know what? They're tying all of their misfortune right now back to something that happened twice. Don't tell me they weren't carrying guilt. Guilt made them reflect all the way back to a scenario 20 years and say, that's the reason why I'm dealing with what I'm dealing with today. Huh? So we are, we are barely guilty concerning our brother that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us and we would not hear. And look, they even put the blame on Therefore is this distress come upon us. 
And Reuben even lifted his voice and answered them saying, Spake I not to you saying, Do not sin against the child, and ye would not hear. Therefore, behold, also his blood is required. Twenty years have passed, but they're still attributing what was happening in the moment all the way back to that time. Do you think that maybe they felt like they were now reaping what they had sowed? And yet, what they don't realize, Joseph talked to them through an interpreter as though he didn't know Hebrew. And he's heard, overheard all of this. And it's not just that he overheard this, but his reaction to what he's heard. He's very compassionate toward them. Now, here's the thing. They think what's happening right now has to do with that all the way back then. But their reaping day started way before the day when they were incarcerated. Way before the day whenever they went searching for food. That started the first day after they had sowed him. That guilt came into their life. You know what happens whenever you can't seemingly or you don't resolve guilt kind of what happens with them they start to assume he's probably already dead it's probably probably already dead by now but in this moment of Joseph overhearing their conversation how is it because he's hearing them saying we're very guilt we're very guilty now you got to put yourself in the position of Joseph here he's went through all this by and large because of their initial action they're saying we're all guilty But how does Joseph respond to their feelings of guilt? How does he respond? How does Joseph respond right here to their feelings of guilt? He's overhearing them saying, oh, we're guilty. All this is happening to us because of what we did to our brother. How does he respond? Anybody know? What? He does. He does tell them that later. But in this moment, the Bible says, what? Right here, cries. He turns away from them and he weeps. He weeps. Now let's put you in that scenario, Sister Rhonda. Because of that one scenario, all of these other events being lied on, accused, all these other events have happened, and then you're overhearing some people say, man, we're going through some, those very people saying, we're going through some bad times right now, and it's probably all the way because of that. Are you going to turn around and weep, or are you going to stand on there and say, good thing it had it coming to him? Huh? Man, we feel so guilty. They should feel guilty. Huh? But Joseph turns about and he weeps. He weeps. He's so impacted by their actions and what they're saying. Although he had been the one that's been done wrong. He turns from them and he weeps. You know why? Because for Joseph, he had been done wrong. But he also moved on after the fact. They had did the wrong, but never had any resolution for the wrong they had done. Joseph had already settled some things in his life. See, the the, the difference is this. They were still being impacted by their actions, and he moved along in life that he wasn't impacted anymore by what they had done. Yeah. Yeah. How can you you do that, Brother McGee? Forgiveness. 
forgiveness. That doesn't mean it didn't take place. That doesn't mean it didn't hurt whenever it happened. That doesn't mean you forget that it happened. Huh? No. But it's that he had the ability to move on and not allow it to dictate his life. The Bible says this, Genesis 45. I want you to notice something in these next few verses of Scripture. I want you to consider how both the brothers and Joseph respond in that moment of time when Joseph finally makes himself known all right to his brothers because there's a period of time that they're just they're ignorant they don't understand but Joseph finally reveals himself and I want you to look out look at how both groups of people or person and group of people Joseph and his brother how they both respond in that moment and we're going to step through these these verses in Genesis 45 Genesis 45 and verse 3 and Joseph said unto his brethren I am Joseph there it is the revealing I am Joseph. If my father yet live, he's concerned about his dad. And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. So how are the brothers acting here when they learned that this man that has incarcerated him for a little bit sent them home, had them come back, accused them of spies? How are they reacting here? They're shocked. Anybody else? What? Scared? We're, we're dead? We're dead? Huh? Yeah, they believe he wasn't dead, so don't know that. They're astounded by this. Yeah, right, you know. Scared? So the Bible says they could not answer him. They were troubled at his presence. Mark this down in your minds. Feeling troubled at someone's presence is always a good indication that there's a problem between you and that person. And what this indicates in this moment, because Joseph had already got past, already got past the hurt that they had given him. He had already forgiven. But what it indicates in this moment is that you can be troubled by them. They were troubled by Joseph. Because of what they had done to him. And not necessarily because he had done something to them. They were troubled because of what they had done to him. Not necessarily because he did something to them. So you can be in somebody's presence and be troubled. Not because necessarily they did anything to you. But because of what you have done to them. And you know what that is? Conviction. Conviction. And so we got to pay attention to those times. The Bible says in verse 4 of Genesis 45, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Okay, that was the brother's response. Now look at Joseph. Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sowed into Egypt. Would anybody like to enlighten me? How's Joseph reacting here? The one that was done wrong. It's right there in the scripture. What's, he, what, what's he's requesting of them? Come near. I mean, you know, the last time we were this close, I was scraping mud off my pant legs from the pit. And the next time was you was handing me over for 20 pieces of silver. But Joseph's not keeping them at arm distance, is he? He's not saying, go on with your bad self. Go back to the homeland and starve to death. No. But he's saying, come near to me. 
Because a good indication of forgiveness is whenever you can have the person that hurts you allow them in enough to get close to you. Huh? Especially if you don't have a Joab spirit and a sword in your hand going for the fifth rib. Now that's a whole other scenario. But if, if, you, if you can allow somebody close to you that hurts you, that's a pretty good indication that, you know what? Things are pretty masked over. Because anybody may be able to throw up a good facade, but honey, you can only do that for so long and so much and for so close. You can be cordial and shake hands. But honey, you're not inviting them over. You're not saying, come on here. No, 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 no. And so we see two different scenarios here between the brothers and Joseph. Amen? Look at verse, look at verse number 5. Now, therefore, look at this. This is the continuation of Joseph's response here. Now, therefore, be not grieved. Telling his brothers this. Nor angry with yourselves that ye sowed me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Everybody ready? Here's the power of forgiveness. One that has forgiven, that was done wrong. You know, forgiveness has taken place when the one that was hurt is comforting the perpetrator rather than trying to be consoled themselves. Consoling them, why? Because they're still feeling guilty about what they did. So the it's kind of a, almost a dynamic of... of, of totally opposite of what you think you think if anybody's going to be comforted matter it should be the one that's being hurt but you have the one that was hurt that's comforting the perpetrator because they are still dealing with the guilt see forgiveness is so powerful forgiveness is so powerful whenever it's granted that it will cause the forgiver to convince the transgressor that they need to forgive themselves you hear what I just said? Forgiveness is so powerful. It will cause the one who was hurt to try to have a conversation with the perpetrator that still feels guilty that you need to let it go. You need to forgive yourself. Yes, ma'am. Lord was with him all along the journey, it says. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and mm -hmm. and that's that's the overarching, you know, other theme of the story. You know, we talked about promotion last week, but again, 
that didn't come by his natural means. That's because the Lord was with him. The Lord prospered him. Being able to forgive, the Lord is with him. All right? Uh, are you saying then, Brother McGee, that people that don't have the Lord can't forgive? No. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm just, just like anything. Things, some things, you know, it's just like you, your child God doesn't take away all your trouble. You saved or unsaved, you have trouble. You saved or unsaved, you're going to be sick. You saved or unsaved, you go have this. But the thing is, knowing that the Lord is with you or having the Lord with you, there is a certain amount of comfort Amen. That comes along with that in and of itself. Amen. And so he told them, don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourself. He goes on. I'm skipping down to verse number 10 of that same chapter. That's Genesis 45 and verse 10. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me. So he, you know, They're just troubled and afraid. And he has this long laundry list of things, man, he starts going into after this whole revealing. Thou shalt be near unto me, thou, there's that near again, thou and thy children and thy children's children and thy flocks and thy herds and all that thou hast. True forgiveness, look at this. Doesn't just clear the current offender. But it also, true forgiveness, doesn't begrudge future generations of the same family huh over the air of somebody you know because here's how it works sometimes someone does me wrong such and such does me wrong I'm going to I'm going to have a root of bitterness I'm going to begrudge that so much so that their kids even couldn't do anything right and their grandkids And they could be model citizens and be the best person you ever met. But you're not going to give them the time of day because somebody that they're related to did you. And so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you know what Joseph's doing right here? True forgiveness is taking place. Not as the only ten to those boys. Hey, don't, don't, don't be angry and I want you to get beyond your guilt. He says, come on. Come on, you come near your children, your children's children. What are you saying? I'm not going to keep this in my crawl and treat your family bad because of what you did. Because unforgiveness has quite the opposite effect. Like I was saying, you don't just write the individual off. You write anybody that's connected to the individual off. And sometimes that goes further than family. If they have acquaintances or friends, they're not going to be your friends and acquaintances because they are friends and acquaintances with somebody that hurt me somewhere in the past. And a lot of that baloney can happen real quick in a city small like this. So much so that, you know, there's some people we'd rather not come in here because they're attached to somebody that hurt me in the community. We don't start writing off people. We start writing off families and acquaintances and friends. But it's evident. It's evident that Joseph didn't have this. This was more than him just saving face and saying this in the moment. It's it's evident that he did not have this in his life because later... In Genesis 50, when Joseph dies and he's on, before that, when he's on his deathbed, he calls the children of Israel. Now, Joseph, the second youngest, there's a great possibility that many of his brothers have passed on before him. And so who's standing at his deathbed? Their children, their grandchildren. And yet he entrusts to those people. 
that were family members of someone that hurt him in the past. He says, whenever I die, he said, you make sure one of these days God's going to visit you all. You're going to go to Canaan, take my bones and take them to Canaan and give me the proper barrel. He's entrusting that to family members of a family that had once did a very deep hurt for his life. Verse 11, he goes on. And there will I nourish thee. For yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. Again, Joseph's second to the youngest. Benjamin's the only one younger than Joseph. And as the pecking order is normally of a family, especially then, the firstborn is responsible for everybody. Reuben should have been responsible for everybody. He should have been the one taking the brunt load. And the pecking order should just go down the list according to age of them taking care of. But here we see the second to the youngest that it's flipped. He's taking care of them. And so much, he said, I'll nourish you. And he, he meets them with a vow that I'm going to nourish you. Boy, that's quite different than what he had experienced from them. Yeah. He could have. Say, ha, ha. Y'all didn't believe me then, but you see what's happening right here? Bow. <laughs> Which they bowed. We see that later in Scripture, but it's not because he demanded it. And he could have rubbed all that in their face. So, whenever Jacob was 130 years old, Jacob, Joseph's dad, whenever he was 130 years old, he came to Egypt. And he died whenever he was 147 years old. That means he and the other boys, particularly Jacob. Jacob had 17 years with Joseph before he died. He had 17 years in the very beginning of his life, and he had 17 years later after he came back to uh, uh, Joseph to spend with him before he died. Now look, here's something else I want you to look at. I want you to look at again. Look how both the brothers and Joseph respond and react whenever daddy gives up the ghost and he dies and dad's no longer in existence. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter number 50 and verse 15. And we'll kind of work through these verses as well. Verse 15, Genesis 50, verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preadventure hate us. You understand this. This is already after these things we've already looked at. Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly... Requite us all the evil which we did unto him. Why do you think the brothers feel like that? Huh? Guilt? Mm -hmm. Great insight. Great insight. Anybody else? Sister McGee? So maybe it stirred up something in Joseph's own life. You know, as long as dad was around, he didn't think about those things. But whenever dad's gone, maybe I had, you know, I did lose some years here. Since he's dead right now, there's no other life to enjoy with dad. Good. Any, anybody else? See what we learn from our Bibles? Just by reading it. So again, I agree. 
perhaps, perhaps they thought that, you know, Joseph was saving face as their elderly father, you know, was still alive. I submit something else tonight. Perhaps they've truly not accepted Joseph's forgiveness. Brother Pat said it. They're still, deal, still dealing with guilt. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Maybe, maybe, and I'm, this is just totally theoretical for me, but I'm thinking, I'm trying to think as a human being. <laughs> right? Say what? Maybe they believe, maybe they believe because this, what I'm saying is, I'm acquainted enough with human life, this is the reason why I'm saying what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe they, maybe they believed what they did was too bad. Hmm? To so easily receive the kindness of Joseph to so easily receive the benefits that he had showed to them of taking care of them and their families. And as Sister McGee said, maybe it was too, maybe it's too good to be true. Mm-hmm. There you go. So they can't really identify with what he has going on right here because they know if it was him, this wouldn't be the outplay. So it's probably not the outplay right here. Yeah. It's like, yeah, we know you're kind. We know where this leads. Right? Verse 16. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, Look at this. So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did nothing unto the evil. Now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. I'm going to hit you with about three questions. I want you to think here. Do we have any record? They said that this is what their father said. Do we have any record of Joseph saying this? Or or Jacob rather saying this? Do you think he said that? And why do you think they said Jacob said these things? So I'm hearing everybody, there's no record of it, and you're true. There's no record that, we have no other record in Scripture that Jacob said those things. My personal opinion is that he didn't. But if he didn't, then why do you think that they're saying he did? What is that? Still feel guilty, Andrew? Right, right, that's good. Mm-hmm. Did you have something? Nope, Sister Margaret. Oh, did, did, the, did Jacob know that? Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So you're saying, you know, did, did Jacob ever know that they had done that to Joseph? But evidently something was going to come out because he went to Egypt and this so how did you get here so and so forth so it's never said in scripture that it's done but we got to we got it's implied because otherwise Jacob I don't, I'm sure they're not sitting around the table well he got here I don't know how it happened but you know it's great and everything you know I'm sure that's going to come out you're going to talk about it so you know why why did they say that Jacob said these things why and notice again how does Joseph respond to this messenger what he weeps. What, Bishop? Could that be going through Joseph's mind at this time? How, how could they be even? I mean, he's, he's, 
no doubt, a lot of times when people cry, and this is evident, especially people have a hard time crying, you're overwhelmed with emotion. And so it's a response. Usually there's one or two responses. You get angry, you cry. Some, some people cry while they're angry. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Sister McGee. Could be like, you know, I don't know anything else to do, crying about that. He could be reflecting on the fact, man, listen to this, consider this. He could be thinking on the fact, you know what? I thought I suffered for 13 years, but these guys have suffered a whole lot worse than what I ever suffered. Because, listen to me, he suffered for 13 years. At this moment right now with daddy dying from the moment that they sowed him, has been a span of 39 years. You hearing me? They've had these little blips on the radar whenever, you know, they're upset themselves and he's trying to console them, but still here now, so many years later, when daddy's dead, it's coming up again. So for 39 years, they've been carrying all of this load around. For someone that's already forgiven something, you realize how that could wrench a heart in perspective and think, 13 years, yeah, I was pit, you know, like all this stuff. But they have carried this two, three, three times, above three times longer than what I, huh? Carried, I've seen someone's hand in my peripheral, Bishop. a possibility. Look at verse number 19 going on of that same chapter as Genesis 15 verse 19. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not. Here comes the reassurance. For am I in the place of God? Question. Verse 21. Now therefore fear ye not. I will nourish you. Reiterating. And your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Now, see, they see a Joseph that's second in command over Egypt. This is a man in a promoted spot, high authority and power. But Joseph wants them to know, although you see me in this promoted state, I am still in no place of being God. Look now, just walk with me here. Could it be? And this is, just, this is where you just need to think about Scripture. Could it be possible that Joseph is trying to turn to direct their petition for forgiveness where it really needs to go. They keep coming to him, but he's already done it. Perhaps he's trying to direct them. You've already received the forgiveness of man. Maybe you need the forgiveness of God. Hmm? Because if you seek for forgiveness from man, you can only get the forgiveness that a man can give you. But whenever you seek for the forgiveness of God, you can get the forgiveness that God can give you. Right? He says, what, what am I in the, place of, in the place of God? I can forgive. Even the New Testament, it bellows out at one time. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Hmm? The Bible states this. We'll wrap this up soon. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 through 8, 2 Corinthians 2, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and there's something that's happened here. Let me read the verses, and then we'll look at it. He says, but if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment which was inflicted of many. Now see, what's going on here, there is some certain person who wronged the Corinthian church or did something wrong. Uh, some even suspect that it was the man that committed fornication, that slept with his mother, that happened in 1 Corinthians 5. I don't know if that's the case. Nevertheless, there's something that took place that was wrong. And apparently, whatever has happened, it has caused grief, uh, and that there were, there's some type of punishment, su- supposedly, that's in, in line here. And that punishment, whatever has happened, has been very sufficient. It was enough, so on and so forth. And so now in verse 7, the Apostle Paul admonishes them. So he says, sufficient, sufficient then uh, to such a man is this punishment, which is inflicted of many. Verse 7, so that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with over much sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. So, Paul's in agreement. There's been a wrong. But they have suffered punishment, and it's been sufficient. He says, now what needs to happen is that you need to go back and to the one who has wronged and caused the grievance, he says you need to forgive and you need to comfort and you need to reaffirm or confirm your love to him. Why? So that he won't be swallowed up in over much sorrow. Folks, if there was ever a scripture that Joseph fulfilled before it was ever written, that is the scripture. You've been wrong. His brothers have been suffering years of punishment by their own guilt and shame and all of this. And what does Joseph do? No. He loves them. He forgives them. He comforts them. Why? So that they are not taken up in over much sorrow because they're drowning in this guilt stuff. They're drowning in this shame stuff. So Joseph, again, he he follows this admonition before it's ever, ever even given. With due diligence, for that matter, forgiveness and comfort and love, he showed to them repetitively at each time that they were questionable of it. That's a big thing. Each time there, you know, some of us would kind of get over, hey, I forgave you, right? All right, you already did it. Go on. But he seemed to be very patient concerning the matter. He would reaffirm it. He would reaffirm it repetitively unto them. And so it's even evident, I think, by the time of their father's death that they're on the verge of being swallowed up by overmuch sorrow. I mean, years have passed. But all of that's happened with no fault of Joseph because he's been loving them all along, comforting them all along, forgiving them all along. And Joseph did not say, you know what, good enough for them. No. But in every episode, whenever, every episode, whenever, whenever he overheard them, what they were saying, and they didn't even know him, and he turned around and he wept. Whenever he made himself known to them, he wept at his father's grave. Whenever they did what they did, what's he doing? He is weeping. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 24 and verse 17, and I'm hastening to a close right here. It says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Now, this is, this is in the setting, the context. We're not talking about, you know what, if, your devil, if the devil falls, don't rejoice over it. That's not what this is talking about. We're talking about whenever someone hurts us, whenever people in our lives who may have been friends, acquaintances, where they are, enter into a position or a posture that they then become your enemy. You hearing what I'm saying right now? He's saying whenever that happens and then something happens to them, don't rejoice then when they stumble because it's displeasing to the Lord. What do we need to do? What the Apostle Paul said. We need to forgive them, comfort them. and Now that's hard. But it kind of goes right with the other New Testament scripture when Christ tells us to love our enemies. Right? That, 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 that's hard. And so, if Joseph, think about it for a moment. If Joseph had laughed over his brother's guilt, we feel very guilty. Instead of turning around and weeping, he was like, ah! You know? <laughs> Whatever life you want to come up with, you know, that might convey, like, good enough for him. If he had done that, if he had done that, what is that really revealing in Joseph? That he's being vengeful. Huh? Huh? To laugh at the calamity of somebody that hurt you? Could that maybe reveal that you not didn't really totally forgive? We, we can forgive, and, and God can forgive, all right? We can forgive, God can forgive, but only God is supposed to be responsible for vengeance. Uh, right? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will reap. Okay? And so man can forgive, and God can forgive, but God is the only one responsible for vengeance. And it displeases him to see if we ever take pleasure and someone, in our words, is getting what's coming to him. Because that really kind of pulls back a curtain on whether or not or how true or valid our forgiveness is that we offered. The story of forgiveness. We'll continue the story of forgiveness next week. If you'll stand with me tonight. Y'all did good. Y'all did good as an interactive crowd. We'll try this preaching on Sunday night. No, I'm joking. But y'all did good. Let me tell you, it helps me to hear, to know if you're getting what you should get. Because I tell you what, it's a frustrating thing if you're going to sit down with your Bible and it's just like, or if I'm up here teaching and it's like, it's good to know that somebody's getting something. And we heard some great insights here tonight. You need to give the Lord and yourself a hand clap, honestly. <laughs> Amen. And the Holy Ghost can help with those insights. The more that you pray, the more that you read your word, the more you do all those things, Holy Ghost can help. Because what, what does that spirit supposed to do? It's supposed to lead and guide you into all truth. Let it lead and let it guide. Amen. I'll pray here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. I'm so Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.